or do you come from the neighborhoods we come from, from the backgrounds we come from? And people aren't talking about this stuff because they don't have those kind of experiences. Like, what is the best way to wear a suit jacket with with pants if it's not a, a, a full like a a set? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, what is what are the different ways to tie a tie? All these things. I didn't own any suits. I didn't have money to buy suits. My shirts were like seven times larger than I wear my button-down <laughs> shirt. So, you know, and, and I had hand-me-down suits. Like, near America Needs, you did a beautiful thing. They went to, I think it was uh, Career Gear. Mm-hmm. And they also had, like, you know, partnerships with Macy's and Bloomingdale's to donate clothes to America Needs You so that we could have attire for the workplace. Mm-hmm. So here I am with my, my hand-me-down suits um walking into this major like global headquarter building <laughs> and i immediately noticed the difference like these guys got brooks brothers on or their custom-made tailor suits and here i am with my like you know my i don't know it's just i can't even remember the steve madden shoes with with like you know a non-fitting shirt and a suit that's clearly like an old suit so i think i i didn't notice right away but as i was you know sitting with peers who came from your cornells and your ivies etc as well as my senior leadership i was just like wow i, I look like a complete moron Dímelo, mi gente. What up, what up? Welcome to another episode of the Quien Dueres podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know it's your boy Pavel bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. Now, the clip you just heard in the intro was with this week's guest, my man, Felix Navarro. Before getting into the full episode, let me just give you a little bit of background on Felix. Felix Anthony Navarro Jr. is a product manager within Facebook reality labs core software team where he focuses on building system level ux and apps for the oculus quest one and the oculus quest two virtual reality headsets felix is also the founder of facebook's afro latinx group and is the co-founder of level up by facebook now known as facebook elevate it's a program at facebook that is dedicated to growing minority owned small businesses through training and one-on-one mentorships Prior to Facebook, Felix spent five years at Goldman Sachs, and prior to Goldman Sachs, he graduated from the City College of New York as valedictorian of the Division of Social Sciences. Outside of Facebook, Felix is actually the founder of FN Speaks LLC, which is a motivational speaking and coaching company specializing in helping businesses and individuals drive meaningful community impact. Now that you know a little bit more about Felix, let's get into the episode. All right, let's start off with, do you remember when we met? Yeah, we met on day one of Facebook in 2017, 2017, first day at Facebook, Menlo Park. Me, you, Samanda, Felix Munoz. It was nice because I was looking for people that looked like me. And when I saw a crew of seemingly Latino folk forming together, I was like, that's my crowd. (laughs) I went over (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy because I remember being at orientation and before we sort of met up, I mean, you probably won't remember this, but it was at a point where I looked around orientation, obviously like we're, we're like chocolate chips in a cup of milk, but 
I looked around and it was at a point where there it was like the Q&A portion. And then you got up and asked a question. And it's one of those things where like no one knows each other. People are kind of like shy to ask a question. And I'm like, oh, shit. This dude got up, confidently asked, like, and it was a great question. And I was like, I got to meet this dude. And then when we go mm. for lunch and break off for lunch, it's funny that we all just like found each other. And like, I got to meet mm-hmm. you with Dope and Samantha and Felix and all those people. But it made me feel so comfortable, man. Just like being in that. Like, did you get that same feeling? Same. 100%. I, I try to seek out my community in many situations, especially in places where I feel out of place. And when I joined at Facebook and saw the people in the room at orientation, I, I definitely, you know, like you said, like we, there's not that many of us. And, you know, so I, I try to make myself feel more confident and feel more comfortable by finding my own community within a bigger sea. But yeah, I, it was a great feeling kind of connecting with you all and, and the others that basically formed a group of people of diverse backgrounds. And that overall like led me to feel more confident just at the company period. But yeah, it, it was a great feeling and it made me feel like I belonged where I was on that day. Yeah. And it's wild too, because you've, you just give off this vibe of just like oozing confidence, man. Have you always been like that? Like growing up or did that, <laughs> like, where did that start, man? <laughs> No, honestly, I think it's a combination of things. I, I think one part is just overcompensating for the slight lack of confidence that I have in a given moment. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to let this overcome me. So I go off and, and go extra hard and like face my fears in a way where I just stand up to that fear that I have wherever I am. That's one. And the second thing, I think it comes from just playing sports. Like I played basketball all my life. I I was a decent player. I wouldn't say I was the greatest, um, but you know, I played high school. I played college, and there's just a level of confidence that comes when you, you know, your confidence in your own skills or abilities, and that confidence from the courts bled into the classroom, which then led into like working uh, in my professional career. So yeah, uh, I think it's like the innate confidence that I had, as well as like when I'm in a situation, just like when you saw me ask that question. I was like, yo, I gotta, I'm gonna have to stand up to this because I'm feeling out of place. I'm feeling, I'm not feeling confident. So I'm just gonna break this ice for myself and and go for this. So it's really funny how like, you know, you saw it as I guess generally you see a ton of confidence in me. But yeah, there are moments where, yo, I I don't feel confident at all. And I I acknowledge that that is something that's a part of me. And I've just figured out a way to to manage that and and kind of break through that fear so I I don't let that hinder me. Bro, that's so interesting because like all we see is like in many ways the persona that we're putting out there, right? Our brand, right? That confidence, but internally yeah. you're probably like shitting bricks, but you're no, not going to show that, right? <laughs> like you're not, not going to show that. You're only, yeah, you're only going to show that confidence. So like but when you think about like shit and bricks and all of those things, like what are some of those fears and anxieties that you're feeling that you're talking about? Hmm. I think the number one thing is imposter syndrome. Feeling really? like I don't belong. Yeah, I feel like I don't belong. Feeling like I suck in. You know, people gonna figure me out. Like, damn, you know, how'd I get in here? 
uh, I gotta prove to people that I belong here. So the imposter syndrome is the number one thing for me. I think the second thing is maybe maybe saying something that sounds dumb. You know, whether it be like having a conversation about the future of my product or having you know asking a question in the room. There's just this a a fear way way back in my head where it's just like, dang, did that did that sound right? That even makes sense. Um, so there's, there's that, and then I think if I had to think about a third piece, I don't know. You you just first impressions are very important in the workplace and outside of the workplace, mm-hmm. and I think I I'm all about first impressions. I I you know I wouldn't say I judge people, but my first impression of people is very hard to break. I feel like I have a good read on people, and you know, I flip that when I think about how people think of me. So mm-hmm. um, I always wonder, like, hmm, what is this person's impression of me? Or what is this group of people's impression of me? Given like what role I'd like to play in this company as a leader or as someone that's like driving important projects or doing whatever, because I, I overall like to just play certain roles and and be like carry a certain brand wherever I go. So yeah, I, I think about first impressions as well. That's really interesting. Nah, but it makes sense, man, because that first impression is it, it's going to be really hard to change people's perceptions after that, right? Because that's, yeah, I mean, I think we're all like that. But it's so interesting that you have imposter syndrome, right? Because I look at you and I'm just like, bro, what? <laughs> like, I, like you, you don't give that vibes off, but I think, <laughs> I think everybody has it, right? And I think it's often because we never compare down. Yeah. We always compare up. And it's yeah, interesting that yes. you mentioned like in a way, like you, you, you said you snuck in and you think that people were, will like find you out. And I think your background is really interesting as well. Cause, and I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but like snuck in maybe is like you comparing yourself to others that maybe have like a more quote unquote traditional background that went to Stanford or this, this and that where, you didn't, right? Like how much of your background just like growing up plays into that imposter syndrome? A lot of it, a lot of it. You know, I, I grew up, I mean, let's, let's take a couple of steps back. Like, what's up y'all? My name is Felix Navarro. I grew up in Harlem, uh, lived in Yonkers, lived in the Bronx. I played basketball in high school and college. Um, was in Washington College for a bit, came back to the City College of New York. City I didn't College know of that. New York is not a well-known school. Oh, you didn't know I went to CUNY? Yeah, I went to CUNY City. CUNY no, City. I knew you went to CUNY. I didn't know you went to Washington. Oh, Washington College in Maryland. It's like a small liberal arts school in Chestertown, Maryland. I was literally there for one semester. Went down there to play basketball. Couldn't stand it. Uh, you know, and please, if anyone from WAC is... is Listening to this, forgive me, but I, I hated it down there. I'm a city kid. <laughs> I went out to this like little town. In, <laughs> went out to this little town in Maryland, and you know, I was playing ball, but you know, it, I wasn't getting the burn I wanted, and I wasn't, you know, this this was literally next to a town or within a town that was probably created because of the school, and this town there was like a street that divided the town where one side was like super affluent and the other side was just struggling. So mm-hmm. it was hard for me. It was hard for me coming from New York City to see that, to live that. 
And also, my, you know, my, my father got sick. Uh, there was a lot going on in my family, so I just wanted to come home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, was, I was lucky to kind of be able to go to City College and, and try out for their basketball team mid-season. And then um, once I did that, I, you know, I filled out application, took the test, et cetera, and then got in. So I was at City for, I, I had a total of five years to finish college. I played ball for about a year and a half after transferring to City College. And then my parents moved to Orlando. And I, I stopped playing ball because I had to work to pay my home bills, to pay for school, and then just like eat. So I was playing ball, doing that, almost dropped out, ended up like applying for 10 scholarships, thankfully because of my athletic director and advisor at City. He was like, bro, don't, don't drop out, don't give up on yourself, fill out these applications and promise me that you won't drop out until you complete all of these. And I completed them, um, 10 of them, and I got six out of the 10. So that led me to have my school paid for, have my housing paid for, I had food on the table and, and then some with some pretty dope programs. Like America Needs You is one of them, formerly known as New York Needs You, which is focused on first generation college students. Um, the Scattered Arts Honors Program in Legal Studies, Colin Powell Program at City College of New York. So anyway, so fast forward, I graduated valedictorian, went on to Goldman Sachs in compliance and was there for about four and a half years and then transitioned into Facebook and their global marketing solutions business. So yeah, like my, just, my background, I think this is what you were getting at. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was like, we're not just going to skip over the Goldman Sachs, but finish. We're going to get to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, you know, I think to your point, like my background was all over the place, but I came from, you know, I, I didn't go to an Ivy. I didn't study tech. Uh, I didn't even study finance. I studied law. Like I was on my way to law school and a phenomenal mentor of mine who was working at Scadden Arps actually just said, hey, look, you have nothing to lose now. And by the way, I would highly advise you not to become a lawyer. <laughs> I was like, what? Like, I just spent the last three years of my life on the LSAT and applying to these law schools and the essays, et cetera, like crushing myself. Um, but I, I love what she did, which was like, look, you needed to be in a position where you had nothing to lose. And now you're in that position. Now you apply to the consulting firms, the banks, uh, everywhere. And if you don't get it, you're still on scholarship going to X law school. And if you do get it, you have options. Um, and I, I got Goldman at compliance and I decided to go. I, I thought I was going to go in for two years and then go to law school, but I really liked it. I loved it. I didn't enjoy it. I, didn't, I wasn't passionate about finance, but I loved having to kind of be the middleman between the regulators and the company. It was really exciting work, really high stakes work, super intense on a daily basis. So I, I learned a lot while working at Goldman. Um, but still, you know, even at Goldman, I felt that imposter syndrome, especially because like, I didn't study the material. I, I wasn't like any of my coworkers. And it was just an interesting identity crisis almost because I, I don't know. I, I was just someone that wasn't from that circle. I, I don't know how else to describe it, but like the way I dressed made me feel like I wasn't supposed to be there. My lack of expertise in, in finance and, and securities trading made me feel like I wasn't supposed to be there. People would talk about their ski trips or their, I don't know, their weekend trips to some summer place. And I'm over here like 
riding motorcycles with my boys, you know, <laughs> I was in a bike club. So, you know, I, I, I felt weird even talking about that stuff. So I was, I found myself switching up a lot, you know, and, you know, when, you, when you're around people who came from your Cornells, your Harvards, your Stanfords, and studied finance, et cetera, and this imposter syndrome will be all over. It's just something you feel every day. So the background could be strong. Uh, you end up, you know, from a graduate auditorium city to a Goldman to a Facebook, but a lot of the stuff that happens throughout your life permeates different factors of your life, whether it be like professional or personal and academic. And the imposter syndrome I felt, or at least like my upbringing and the difference there was between myself and the people I worked with really manifested into what I learned later on was imposter syndrome. Yeah. But um, I didn't know what to call it when it was happening. Yeah. It's like you're feeling something. And I didn't know what imposter syndrome was until I got to Facebook. Like, I just didn't know what to call one of those no things. No way. I, I mean, like, I was experiencing it. I just didn't know what to label it. Yeah. Yeah. How I definitely. You, how did you learn what imposter syndrome was? Somebody literally, I was at Facebook and I was like, what was I saying? I think I was explaining to someone like how I was feeling and they were like, oh, that's called imposter syndrome. I was like, what? What do you mean? And they explained to me and I was like, yo, that's exactly how I'm feeling. It's also weird too, because at Facebook in a weird way, people talk about it so much. They're like, yo, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. This is and that, that. I feel like they don't give you a chance for it to not happen. It's like they talk about it so much, like they're predicting or manifesting it for you. And another thing that they tell, like I was told, it was like, you're going to cry in month three, three to six, you're going to cry. I was like, what? What do you No, I'm not. I don't cry, bro. Month six, I cried. <laughs> Legit. We, I, we could talk about that. as well. <laughs> <man>. <laughs> I felt like. Legit. And they, and they were like, oh, you know what? That's right on time. Like they were clocking me. It was fucking weird. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to know what was going on. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, I definitely want to get into like, you know, those first initial jobs and like those feelings and you feeling like an imposter. But even before that, man, I, I think it's important we we touch on, we spoke about earlier, which is like the guidance that you had at such a critical point in your life, right? College, you're trying to figure yourself out, you're yeah. trying to figure like what to do. And it's it's interesting even the idea of a student athlete, right? Because there's so many negative perceptions on what mm. student athletes are but you were clearly balancing both mm. right like mm. you were balling and i'm and i'm curious yeah. like what even led you to like just be passionate about basketball and like how passionate were you really but it seems like you will also do your thing academically mm-hmm. right like did you always know yeah. the importance of academics like what was that like just balancing those two i've never been asked that question and <laughs> I think the answer to that was, was really stems from basketball. Like, I, I was just a very competitive person. And when I was on the court, so I started playing ball around 10 years old. And I, I was doing all sports, like basketball, baseball, soccer. But I found that I was best at basketball. And it just became a passion of mine. Like, I, I don't think I got good until maybe seventh grade, sixth grade. So 11 years old. I don't know what happened, but I, I got skinny. I grew like, I don't know, over one summer. I think I grew to six feet. Damn. <laughs> and I was 
Yeah, 11, 12 years old. I didn't grow an inch after that. Like, I'm still 16 today. But I just had this massive growth spurt. Yeah. <laughs> like, that. Yeah, what happened? Um, I had this massive growth spurt, and then I was just dominating everybody. Everybody. So I stood playing ball. And my grades were always good. But when I started getting good at ball, I think my grades got even better. And it, I think that stems from just being super competitive. Like, I always wanted to be the best on the court. And that transitioned into the classroom. Like, I wanted better grades than everyone. I looked for, like, the best student. And I would study with them. I would, like, I would, I would cram super hard. And I, I was even a teacher's pet, bro. I just wanted the best grades in the class. <laughs> I, really... I think in high school, I was ranked number two at some point. Yeah, it was just super competitive. So I just wanted to be the best at everything. I think that's still the case for me today. But, yeah, a lot of the the – the strong grades started from just being competitive, but then I really found a passion for the, like just a passion for school and like an excitement that came with intellectual curiosity. So it, it was really cool to me to like, you know, take those AP classes, et cetera. And it was a combination of, you know, this is really like, this is dope to learn, but also, like, yo, I'm better than you. Like, are you in this AP class? No. So, are you talking shit? Like, I would literally, <laughs> I would just be like, clowning on people. <laughs> like, you know, but when I got to college, when I got to college, and then in college, you get to decide what you focus your energy on. And that is when my grades skyrocketed because I was studying law, I was studying criminal justice, I was like founding. Uh, nonprofit organizations in my school, which then stretched to other colleges. And it was it was really exciting. It was really cool. Got to do some dope stuff, work with the Innocence Project, the campaign to end the death penalty. It was just super cool work. And it it, it fueled me. And I, that played into like my my papers and my thesis, etc. So it was very easy for me, uh, which translated into my grades. So yeah, I think it really started out as competition. And then I took pride and the grades I was getting, and I didn't want, I wanted to maintain that brand and also maintain that like personal pride. So I was grinded at school. Um, That's dope, man. I never spoken about that. Yeah, it's, it's funny. That's dope. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't know you were that competitive, to be honest. Like, I just thought you were just in the zone. I'm super competitive, like, <laughs> Doing it, I thought, you know, doing it for you. It's, cause you're so humble, I think, that I think you're humble. Cause you do so much shit that I'm just like, that you know Thanks, there's I, other I people like that brag cool. about it but like you do so many things that i mean i guess you could be both right i mean that that's something i always struggle with and my therapist tells me all the time like i always think things in binary like either or where you could be both right yeah no i i hear you on that it's there's this really good book called brag better and it's all about like strategic you know i think a lot of us just feel weird about bragging and that yeah our upbringing has a lot to play um like our upbringing has a lot has influenced us and, and wired us in a way to feel like bragging is wrong mm -hmm. or i mean brag you know I, I you look at people who brag and you're just like yo shut up um, <laughs> so but like if you do that yeah but if you 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 also can't just keep your head down and work and grind and not make it known what you're doing and I think like finding the balance between that is super important. So I definitely don't brag. I, I try not to be the person that runs their mouth on stuff that they're doing. But I also am, am very thoughtful 
about when I do share stuff that it's meaningful and people know like my role in it as well as others because I really do things by myself and that it doesn't come off as bragging. But at the end of the day, that is a form of bragging. Like you are sharing information about your accomplishments, uh, but you just have to do it in a really tasteful way. So yeah, like, and I think that's where that's where the the humility comes. Like, you know, I I am a humble person. I don't like to brag, but I know the importance of making it known um, of what's happening in your world and some of the things you're accomplishing and what you're looking to do. Yeah, I think I think that also puts us at a disadvantage when we start working. When I say we, I think people of color, because I think part of it is is cultural, right? Many times we're told to be to be quiet, to just take what's given to us and, yeah. um, you know, not make a lot of noise because yeah. if we make noise, then we're going to be seen. If we're seen, then they're going to see the imposter that we really are. So like, stay quiet, just lay low, just put your head down and work. But, you know, a lot of That's like how you move up in corporate America is you got to play that corporate game, which is like politics. And, you know, speaking of politics, I definitely want to get into, you know, the corporate um, side of things because you've worked for some dope companies, some huge companies, right? And then the work that you put in as, you know, a student athlete, like it paid off. Like you got to do some really dope stuff that, um, you know, not everyone gets to work for a Goldman Sachs or a Facebook. And I thought what was really interesting is that very early on, you recognize this conflict around like you wanting to be yourself, but then also feeling like, well, no one else is doing the same things, right? Now, like no one else is in a, uh, I don't want to call it a, a bike club, yeah. let's call it, right? Or like doing some of the things like you, you, didn't, own, <laughs> yeah. you, you didn't own your bike second club. house in a ski resort and all those things. So like, do you remember sort of like those first <laughs> yeah. few days and, and what if, <laughs> do you remember those first few days and what it felt like for you? Like, did you, did you consciously go in there and say, yeah. I need to hide this, this and that and I'm going to show this part of me? Yeah, at first I was oblivious to the, di- the difference. Um, and then the, the, the difference, I, I learned about the differences in some pretty embarrassing moments, to be honest. And, and also some observations of myself and myself in certain circles and how different I was and appeared uh, among other people. So I guess the first thing is when I, when I got to Goldman, you know, I didn't. I didn't intentionally say like, "Oh, I'm just gonna, just gonna, you know, cool switch here." But you know, I came in. Like, let's 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 have some context here. I'm a first generation college student. Um, my parents like did everything they could to help me, you know, get into college and share the the knowledge that they had, right? Um, which was great, and they did all that they could and shared what they knew. Some of it was good advice. Some of it wasn't good advice, but you know, I had the support, which, and I feel really blessed for it. There are many people who don't even have that. Yeah. Um, but like, I didn't know anything about a corporate setting. I didn't, and, and luckily, I went through some programs, so I'll talk about American Easy, where they literally had workshops on how to shake somebody's hand. Like, they, they, on some basic level stuff. Like, they had I workshops on how that. to write emails, how to shake somebody's hand, right? Like, yo, this, this is real. Like, when you come from the neighborhoods we come from, from the backgrounds we come from, the people aren't talking about this stuff because they don't have those kind of experiences. Like, what is the best way to wear a suit jacket with with pants if it's not a, a, a full like a a set, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what is what are the different ways to tie a tie? 
all these things. I didn't own any suits. I have money to buy suits. My shirts were like seven times larger than I was, my button-down <laughs> shirt. So, you know, and, and I had hand-me-down suits. Like near America Needs, you did a beautiful thing. They went to, I think it was uh, Career Gear. Mm-hmm. And they also had like, you know, partnerships with Macy's and Bloomingdale's to donate clothes, like Bonobos to donate clothes to America Needs You so that we could have attire for the workplace. Mm-hmm. So here I am with my, my hand-me-down suits um, walking into this major, like global headquarter building <laughs> and I immediately noticed the difference. Like these guys got Brooks Brothers on or their custom-made tailor suits and here I am with my like, you know, my... I don't know. It's just I can't even remember the Steve Madden shoes with with like you know a non-fitting shirt and a suit that's clearly like an old suit. So I think I I didn't notice right away, but as I was you know sitting with peers who came from your Cornells and your Ivies, etc., as well as my senior leadership, I was just like, wow, I, I look like a complete moron among these people, like I don't know, like everybody feels so comfortable in this environment. I thought I would be comfortable, but I, even if I do feel comfortable, I look uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. So there was an appearance part. And then the second part in terms of like relating to people, you know, exactly to what you said, I, I'd spend my weekends in, like you have people who studied in certain colleges and, and had, and immerse themselves in certain cultures that was very different from mine. And I'm saying like frat sorority cultures and going mm-hmm. to bars, etc. And when my peer group would want to go to a happy hour and a party, I'm like, I right, like, let me change. Like, I'm going to take off this suit because we're going to dance, right? Like, nah, bro, we're just going to go to this bar. I'm like, oh, y'all don't dance? Like, <laughs> like you know, like, uh, like, nah, come, to me, come with me to this club. We're going to go to this spot and I'm going to show you what a real party is. Like, um, it was, it was very different, you know? And then, and then talking about the weekend, there's always that question on Monday. Oh, how was your weekend? And, you know, I, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable sharing anything about my weekend. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I went to the Copa or I salsa dance here or I partied at pianos Friday night and then met up so and so. Like, it, 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 they would just look at me like I was speaking another language. Um, and... You know, they they would talk about their different trips, which were was another language to me. So I felt like I couldn't really share my authentic stories, um, and I tried to start doing things that would make me feel a little more connected to the people I was working with. So you know, I would I would try out these restaurants that they had mentioned in the past. Like, oh, I went to such and such restaurant that had like amazing. Um, you know, brisket salad, this and that. I'm like, oh, all right, I'll try that out. Like, let me write that down. And I go to it. <laughs> I go back in the next week. Oh, thank you so much for that recommendation. I, you know, I put my girlfriend there and she loved it. You know, <laughs> it's, 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 if someone's listening to this and this sounds so stupid and far-fetched, it's because it is. But that is how we feel. That That is the extent to which we feel we need to go to fit in and, and, and relate to people that we don't easily relate to or naturally relate to. So, you know, I was changing up who I was, my whole ass persona. I started shopping differently. I was looking at, you know, who was wearing what. 
you know, I, I, I mean, I, I buy clothes from certain places. I was shopping at Brooks Brothers, but I had never shopped there before. Um, so it's just stuff like that where I was, I was changing. I even changed how I talk. And a lot of us do that too. Like, uh, it, 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 I was just being a completely inauthentic person to myself. And it worked in terms of fitting in. But at the end of the day, no matter how much I changed who I was as a person, I was still that kid who grew up in the Bronx, who went to the City College of New York, and for, in their first week, in my first week or month, wore like some ill-fitting clothing. <clears throat> and it was pretty, it was pretty bad. It was embarrassing. It was traumatizing. Um, emotional, it was emotional struggle. And, you know, there was a moment where I was like putting on my, you know, my, my, conform, my conforming voice. Like, oh, wow, yeah, my weekend was great. Oh, my God, yes. I love the recommendation you gave me. <laughs> I, I went to this restaurant. Wow, their, their Brussels sprouts were, like, on the money. Was, Thank you so much for that recommendation. My, I think the girl I'm dating is now, like, more interested in me because I brought her there. So, like, I, it was so bad, man. It was so bad. Someone called me out on it who was a person of color, and he was like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, I really said, well, what are you talking about? Like, what, what, do you, what do you mean? What am I doing? And it's like, bro, listen, um, I know what you're doing. I've done it before. You're wasting your energy. You're wasting your time. You're putting too much energy in being someone that you're not, and you need to acknowledge that. And until you do, you're not going to do your best work here. Yeah, you're doing really well. I hear great things about you, but you're not doing your best work because you're spending energy on the phone, on these phone calls, and I've heard you on these phone calls, code switching. You're changing your voice. You're using different vocabulary. You just need to chill. Like, yeah, you can't be your 100%, you know, motorcycle racing authentic self here, but, you know, you don't have to go all the way off the cliff in the other direction. I was like, damn, no one's ever spoken to me that way before, ever. And that opened up a conversation because, one, he mentioned that he used to do it. And two, now I was able to confide in someone as to why I was doing this and figure out a balance. It took a while. It took a while, but that was a very embarrassing moment for me. And um, if he noticed it, many other people noticed it. Um, long story short, like, I, I found that balance. And what I realized was I was far more interesting as the person who was different than everybody else. I was far more comfortable as the person who was being more of his authentic self than you know, trying to talk, walk, and act a certain way. And not only did my confidence improve because of all of that, my work improved as well because now my energy wasn't being wasted in being someone I wasn't. So because I was a salsa dancer, a motorcycle rider, and like a weightlifter, Lifter who did a bunch of Spartan races, like there was far more interest in what I was doing over the weekend or spending time with Felix or having Felix speak to interns, et cetera, about being his authentic self. And it, it was just a major realization. And that those moments led me to do way better work at any company I was at, both from a like day-to-day perspective, as well as in the community outreach and diversity work when it came to recruiting or like internal uh, community for diverse employees. Mm-hmm. So I'm really appreciative of this person. I won't say his name, but I'm really appreciative. And that was 
that was my journey, but it's not an easy one. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of emotion there. There's a lot of like identity crisis there. Mm-hmm. And I know mm-hmm. that I'm not the only person that goes through it, which is what leads to why like a lot of the public speaking I do now. Yeah, no, nah, that, that journey honestly is giving me goosebumps, man. And like, I don't want to, I mean, obviously we're boys, so I'm sure you're not offended. Um, but like, I just want to make sure that, you know, the, the people that are listening, like, I'm laughing because I have experienced all of those things and I'm laughing because it's, it's, I mean, it's sad, but in a way, like it's kind of comical, just like the performances that we put on and people don't realize it. Like, and I think what people don't realize too, and I've said this before, but I wish white people faked enthusiasm the same way that we faked it. And I've been part of so many conversations where it's like, oh my God, you went where? Oh my God, tell me more. And like deep down, I mean, sometimes I really do care. Like, yo, shout out to Brussels sprouts. Cause whoever introduced me to Brussels sprouts, that just changed my life. I love shits are delicious. Shout out to Brussels sprouts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes I think, I think sometimes they say some shit where I, I honestly, I have no interest in it. Like, white people don't fake that interest in the shit that we talk about and honestly you know what i don't give a fuck just fake it fake it a few times because you know what it'll make me feel good and you know what um <laughs> you, know, you know when i say like yo there's this restaurant that i went to um went salsa dancing after fake it just as much as i do i just i just want to know what it feels like and like i and yeah man i've been there as well like i i legit assign myself homework on the weekends just to, I mean, I used to listen to Bruce Springsteen on the weekends or like, instead of watching Insecure, like a show that I would oh, watch, I would, I, w- I watched like legit yes. three seasons of Riverdale and nothing against Riverdale, nothing against uh, like expanding my experiences and, and shows that I'm into. But it's one thing of like me doing it because I want to expand my interest versus me forcing myself to do it. And I think another thing is that people don't realize we often talk about the individual impact, right? It's like, we're fake, we fake who we are and like we're, we're losing energy and this and this and that, that we could be spending on other things. Like companies are losing out as well because this is shit. Instead of watching yeah. shit that like, I don't care about, I could be actually doing work that I care about. That's helping you out mm-hmm. and generating revenue for you. So I just want to say, man, like mm-hmm. I'm laughing because like I've been there, bro. And last thing I'll say is that to, to, to mention with, to piggyback off of what you said, like, it's not easy, man. And it comes in different steps. Like, I think the first step is really trying to figure out who you are, then building the confidence to be who you are, which you got into. And then the last part is like, all right, well, what happens when you are yourself? Like, that's not easy as well, because then you get hit with, you know, I call it microaggressions, but also call it racism, where you just like, you get hit with that. And then you're like, you know what, this is why I wasn't myself. I was avoiding this. Mm experience and a lot of people get those experiences and then they're like no no i'm gonna keep doing it because i need to be myself and it's gonna help other people but some people hit, get hit with those microaggressions they're just like yeah you know what i'm just gonna pull back you know um but yeah. before getting into the microaggressions man like i think even the term like authenticity is so interesting right because it means different things to different people yeah. But when you think about authenticity and being your authentic self, like what comes to mind for you as far as like who you are? Oh, wow. Tough question, man. 
I think being about most, I think being my authentic self, I think it's, it's hard. When being my authentic self is this conversation, like I'm talking to my boy, I'm speaking at a cadence and pace uh, that is natural to me. And we, we just chopping shit, you know? But my authentic self in a conversation like this versus my authentic self in the workplace are two different things. I'm still being my authentic self though. But so I, I guess it's hard to define what exactly your authentic self is. But I, I think, I think, you know what, Pavel, like edit a lot of this. Or you don't have to edit it, just you know, leave it in so people can laugh. But I think being my most authentic self is being, is not changing up real time what I would say or how I would act in a given situation. Not changing up, not, not spending my energy or doing things that I think would make people feel better about me mm-hmm. and spending all of my energy on the things that I care most about and spending all of my energy in a way that's productive to me. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of like the opposite of wasting my time being someone I'm not. And, and that is just spending all of my time owning who I am and communicating, conversing, expressing in a way that's natural to me. So what does that mean? Like concretely, like uh, tactically, I am, I'm speaking in my natural voice. I'm speaking in my natural tone, like not worried about who feels intimidated about the speed at which I speak or the, I don't know, however deep my voice is. Um, being as direct as I naturally am instead of, you know, holding back on certain conversations, talking freely about the things I care about, my weekend, the food I like to eat, etc. Um, and dressing in a way that is, is natural to me. Like, I think when I first found my place in my own slag in the office, like at Goldman, a lot of my clothes were like, you know, very comfortable. And I, I was mad Latin. And, and I, that's why I became like, oh, you, like, you kind of, you know, you got the Latin flair today. Like, oh my God. So, you know, I, I muted some of my colors, right? But, um, you know, the, 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 the suit was fitted and, and tight a little bit and the socks were showing. I, I kind of muted all that, but long with the answer to your question, like I, sh- I shouldn't have. So being my most authentic self is kind of being natural, what comes natural to me in a setting in which I would have normally switched it up. Nah, that makes sense, man. And, I, and you said such an interesting word, and I'm I'm curious. Do you think people have found you intimidating previously? Intimidating is the word you used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I try not to. Nah, I don't know. I feel like <laughs> where I grew up and the people that raised us, like very in your face, talk really fast. Are, are, are blunt, direct, like my mother never held her tongue. My sisters definitely don't. And our, like when we're cutting ass on each other, we're not holding our tongues. And we're very quick-witted and fast to respond. And I just feel like some people aren't used to that. Um, especially when, I, I don't know, they're, they're in a conference call or a meeting and 
you know, you respond in a certain way, not not in an aggressive way, but you you know, you're just very direct, like, hey, did you really think through this? Or mm, I don't know if that makes sense, or whatever. And you hear through the grapevine that, oh, you know, so and so felt like that statement was intimidating or a little direct, um, blah blah blah. So I learned over time that there are certain mannerisms that are intimidating, but these are mannerisms that I saw from people above me, like making strong decisions who are in very senior positions at certain companies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why is it that, you know, me acting and speaking in this way comes off as intimidating? I, I, I pride myself on my humility and I, I, I'm very mindful of other people's feelings. So I was very surprised to hear that. But yeah, yeah I, I mean, after hearing that I was intimidating to someone, you know, it made me think differently about how I showed up. So, but I, I think like that wouldn't be me being my authentic self. I, I, I should be able to speak my mind and, and speak freely and be very honest about an idea or wanting more data to make a decision or mm. whatever else is necessary to make sure that we are highly successful as a team. So, yeah, man, it, it definitely, yeah, I don't think I'm intimidating, but I've gotten the feedback and I'm very mindful of it. Bro, man, that, yeah, that hits home, man. And I mean, I don't find yeah, you intimidating. Bro. I think you're like, a very friendly bro you're always smiling laughing um i mean i've never been in a meeting with you but i I would assume that your charisma and um just the friendly nature of you and like you seem to be so inclusive like making sure that you 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 know people are included and getting their opinions in um and that's just my experience of just like having group conversations with you you know what i mean and yeah but I, i think I think it's something that many of us experience, man. Like I remember at Facebook, I got, and maybe I don't remember exactly. Like I remember when I started crying and it wasn't at Facebook, it was at home. But I remember very, very early on, man. Like I, I was very close to quitting, man, my first year. And it was just this, really? I mean, obviously I like that. hitting it. Yeah, man. I was, I was in imposter syndrome for sure, but I was getting like, labeled as like not being friendly and like there was a big emphasis on like being best friends with your team and i was just like bro i'm just trying to do my job like why do i got to be best friends like what is this whole concept so i tried to do that but then i tried to do it in a code switching way and that's when i started watching riverdale and like all these shows but then i remember at one point you know we were in sort of like a informal meeting and somebody i was like i disagree with that point very like just like that I was like oh I disagree and they were like oh why and I was like because of x x y and z answer data whatever and I had data back it up and they were like oh well they should have really a hard time with the fact that like someone disagreed with them and I was like I was like yo like we don't have to disagree if anything like I'm happy to move forward with the team's group decision like if I get outvoted I'm fine with that whatever but this is my opinion and it just got like very a loud tone and I was just like well this is weird like then I got loud back and whatever i got labeled as aggressive um and it's really interesting too but i don't know if this is your experience but my but my my therapist told me in and when i was telling her about the experience he was, she was like Pavel, was your tone loud and i was like you know what maybe it was and she was like that's okay yeah. she said something that like always stuck with me it was like people that yell is really the voice of the unheard and i have felt unheard for many years and in the workplace specifically. Like I've been in meetings where I say something, they don't yeah. listen. 
this white dude says the same shit with less data to back it up and they listen to him. And that my experience with that particular right. team was that I felt unheard, but I couldn't communicate that because I didn't know how to express right. my feelings. So instead, I raised my voice, which they raised their voice first. Let's just say what it yeah. is. But, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> point is, I got to that point where I was labeled as that, man. But um, it took me to, to see the representation of someone else being themselves for me to be like, yo, fuck this. I'm done taking all this energy out and, and faking it. I was like, if I'm going to quit Facebook, if I'm going to get fired at Facebook, you know, I'm going to go out on my own terms. Is that, and that's when I started being myself, man. But yeah, it's, it's crazy, man. We, we all got a journey and um, I'm glad that now you're on, it seems to be on the other side of that journey. We're all continuing to grow. You know what I mean? But it's dope to see like yeah, yeah. the point that you're at. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely, like you said, a journey. There is constant growth. And we are in uncharted territory. I mean, there are more and more Latinos in these top-tier companies and more and more Afro-Latinos in these top-tier companies. And we and, and blacks and, and like just a, a lot of people of diverse background, but we're gonna focus on Afro-Latinos today. And there are more and more of us here and we're kind of in, in brand new territory trying to find our place. I mean, there's a lot that, a lot of baggage we bring into the corporate setting just because of our identity. As an Afro-Latino, you, you're, you're, you know, I love, by the way, I love your brand name, Plural, because, or Plural, because it, it really touches on the plurality of our identities on the personal side. And since a lot of your conversations are focused on the corporate world, it focuses on the plurality of how we show up, both like at work as people, like in the professional setting. Yeah. Um, and like as someone who is 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 like authentic in their own right, and then a different form of authenticity in the workplace. So there's like, hey, I am a mixture of like Afro identity as well as Latin, and that's the plurality in my identity. But then like, I'm one person outside of work and I'm another person inside of work because I have to be. So like that, that concept is just so poignant. Um, so I think that the, that is a journey that will always involve a ton of growth. and when it comes to imposter syndrome and that amount of, and that kind of growth and us continuing to rise into uncharted territories and continuing to take risks and be CEOs or product leaders or sales leaders, we're always going to feel like we don't belong because, or that we're a fraud or that there, we have to switch up because there's not that many of us in the places that we're going. Yeah. So it's, mm. I think you're always, going to encounter that you're always going to feel some kind of tension and internal struggle with your identity or how you show up at work etc and you just have to figure out how to manage it and i think that's where i am which is i've i found a good balance i to this day i can't be 100 my authentic self at work but i found a, a place where i am more of my authentic self almost up to entirely being my authentic self at the workplace but when I find myself in new spaces and I just, you know, transition into product management, 
I had to figure out what my authentic self was in the culture of this part of the country versus where I came from, which had an entirely different culture. Mm-hmm. So it'll it'll always, as we grow, as we strive, as we accomplish more and more things, there's always going to be the struggle. So like I appreciate you for saying, hey man, I think you're you're on the other side of this, and I am. Um, but like for everyone listening, I, I would definitely acknowledge that my journey is def- is not complete. There's more growth that I have to go through, and I am still figuring out that balance in every environment that I've gone to. Yeah, that's real, man. And I think that's a good transition into that last question. But, you know, when you think about being your most authentic self, what's one thing that continues to empower and inspire you to be your most authentic self? I think what really drives me to continue being my authentic self and makes me look in the mirror and say, you know, you got to show up with who you are entirely today is all the people that I'm paving the way for that will come through after me. If we show up as people that we're not, people are going to assume that like the Afro-Latino person um, that fills in this role or that enters this company is a certain way, is X. And that isn't the case because like the way I'm showing up is setting that impression, but the way I'm showing up, if I'm not being authentic, is completely different from how people actually are. Um, but if I show up as my authentic self, people will know like what a successful Latin, Black, Afro-Latino uh, male is in a corporate setting. There isn't, you know, some watered down version of this. Um, how Felix comes through is what we should expect with the his authenticity, his level of success, his passion, his drive, the way he dresses, the way he talks, whatever it is, like that is what a successful minority looks like in this country in a corporate setting. And I want to continue paving that way and creating that space for us to act in the way that is natural to us so that when I continue moving forward, everyone that comes through after me doesn't have to feel like they have to switch it up because that is already the impression that we've established for ourselves and the people that come after us. So that's what drives me. I want to make sure that like, I create a better setting than what was left for me. And uh, so far, I think I've been doing that.